0: Hey Rockheads, if you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com.
1: Dot Net Rocks, episode 1144,
2: with guest Josh Holmes. Recorded Thursday, May 21st, 2015.
0: Thank you very much and welcome back to Net Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here at Dev Intersection in Scottsdale, Arizona, at the... Uh, Fairmont Princess. Last day of the main conference. And uh, some really great things happened here last night, Mm -hmm. a big IoT jam session, and uh, Josh Holmes is going to talk to us about that in a minute, but... uh First, man, I got a couple of things for Better Neural Framework. One of them, I I guess, I'll get out of the way because it's more (laughs) self-serving.
2: Okay. So so?
0: every year in my town, New London, which is a great music scene, Mm -hmm. there's the Whaley Awards, which are awards given to you know best band and you know genres, kind of like the Grammys, but it's our little. And it's really over the top, too. We have like a, an awards ceremony and a oh, stage man. and people dress up in tuxes and grass suits and big bear costumes and all <laughs> sorts of weird
1: stuff. It's great. It's the Whaley's.
0: But I'm up for best producer this oh, yeah. year. Congratulations, buddy. So wouldn't it be cool if I got all my .NET Rocks fans to vote for me and, you know, it something where, you know, they're used to getting like 30 votes, we'll get like 300 votes <laughs> For best Or maybe
2: 10,000 votes.
0: Or maybe 10,000. 100,000 votes. Let's just see if we can tip it over the top. Go to <laughs> tinyurl.com slash vote for Carl Franklin. <laughs> let's just see if we That's can make... Not s- self-serving at all, let's Carl. see if we can make some jaws drop in New London. <laughs> anyway. Blow uh, up the Whaley's. I love it. Yeah, if you're feeling
2: like helping me blow up the Whaley's, let's just do it. Hey, especially if you've listened to music to Code By, because... That's a great production effort. There, oh, Mike. thank you very much, you are sir. You really made a great product.
0: All right, now, something that serves the listening audience, and this is very cool. If you go to... Have we actually done the intro music? No, we haven't done the intro music. What am I thinking? I All know. that crazy music. Better. All right, dude, what do you got? All right, this time, uh, I went looking for a concise list of awesome things in the new XAML, in XAML, you know, VS 2015, right? okay. Windows 10, for universal apps. And looking all around Microsoft's website, I was just lost in a sea of generalness. <laughs>
2: and As is usual.
0: And leave it up to Sahil Malik. No. To put together a series of tweets and a blog post of just these awesome things that he's blunted. Uh, in Windows 10 XAML. So this is tinyurl.com slash XAML goodness. Ah, okay. XAML goodness. So I'm going to just read off some of these great things. And this is, this will make you smart in five minutes. Ready? There's a built in calendar control. The system tray calendar in Windows 10 uses the same calendar control. Nice. How cool is that? All right. The Visual Studio 2015 XAML designer includes a drop down to preview the UI for common devices and resolutions. How's that? That's brilliant. That's very cool. You know, all sorts of different uh, size screens and and resolutions. All right, there's a new universal pivot control for Mm. universal apps. There's a content dialog. There's an auto suggest box, which is a better replacement for search box, which was Windows only. Uh, A new maps universal control has offline 3D street side panoramas. Huh? Huh? Here's another one. Windows 10 has split view that can collapse the left nav, think hamburger menu, right. when you're on low resolution.
2: Great for universal apps. It's it's almost like this is all about building tools that it's like responsive design, but it doesn't have to be HTML. Doesn't. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: And of course, they go everywhere. Windows apps go. Yeah. So
2: examples uh, so getting responsive design
0: and just some really cool controls. Split view setting rules for overlay versus inline. Nice. A relative panel that allows elements to be laid out relative to other elements. Nice. Very cool. Uh, Windows 10 XAML allows for compiled bindings. Compiled bindings. Like you say, text equals, um, uh, quote, x colon bind name instead of you know binding name. Right. And the advantages of that, no reflection, debug through generated code. How's that? Mm-hmm. Compile time checks and better performance. Nice. Compiled XAML bindings. Uh, they also allow change notification on all control properties. Very cool. All? Okay. All control Just properties. Pick them all up. Yep. And uh, Perspective Transform 3D allows you to transform anything in 3D space. Very, very cool. Interesting. Uh, Windows 10 allows apps to run in windowed mode. Of course, now you can, if you're writing an app to run in windowed mode, instead of you know full screen like we had in Windows 8. Yep. Um, you can do custom Chrome and branding. It's like uh, title bar dot extend view into title bar equals right. true or uh, window dot current dot set title bar. Right? Mm-hmm. How about an ink canvas to add inking support? Simply just drop it in a grid. Ink canvas. Interesting. That's it. And it's that easy. Uh, Windows 10 windowed, a- windowed apps also means you're going to need drag and drop. Fortunately, very easy to add. Grid, allow drop equals true.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. You know, it's just you, you're really talking about the evolution of XAML here.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's cool. It's great. I mean, when, when, you know, we were looking at the first round of XAML for Windows 8, yeah. for Windows 8 Metro apps, we called them back then, it wasn't half as rich as WPF. No. And now I'm seeing we're going beyond. Yeah. So stuff we haven't seen. In before. some ways, Right. Sahil
2: does it again.
0: Sahil does it yeah, again. Been One on more. The show for a while. One more. The WebView can embed a Microsoft Edge as a WebView. OK, so that's browser control. The new browser control right. could be Microsoft Edge. Very neat. Thank you, Sahil. That's great. When is the last time we had Sahil on the show? I don't know, but we really got to get him back again. Yeah. You know, it was only January this year, but. And it looks like he's gone, he's doing more than SharePoint. As
2: know. usual. Well, he did, that show he did talk about, like, being the new SharePoint developer with the new right. plug-in model and all of those sorts of things, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to circle back with him. He writes yeah. good stuff, no toys about it. Sure, cool. All right, man. Know it, learn it, love it. Cool. Who's talking to us, buddy? Grabbed a comment on show 1031 we did with one Pete Brown. Oh, yeah. And we were talking IoT. And that was, that was you know, eight nine. Months ago, right, and things have evolved. So, take these comments and think about where we are today. Right, and I'm sure Josh will have some comments on this. As well, this is from Harold K, who says, "I had high hopes for Microsoft and IoT. Free Windows license for devices under X inches, and the .NET framework sounded good. I signed up for a Get Windows Galileo Dev Kit, and then I heard on .NET Rocks about the Galileo and realized there would be no .NET." on the Windows Galileo dev kit. I Mm -hmm. thought the .NET was an essential part of the Windows ecosystem. Today I heard about the Minnowboard Max, which seems to be a nice piece of hardware for prototyping, but it requires a Windows license. Right? What happened to the free Windows for all devices? Is the Raspberry Pi the best way to develop for IoT stuff with .NET technology, hmm. and Pete responded to a lot of questions on this show. There was, yep. a, there was all kinds. He, he addressed he, them all. He did, yeah, absolutely. And he and he mentioned this when he said, "Yes, .NET's very important to us. It wasn't ready to go with the Galileo right away, mm-hmm. uh, but the intent was to get there." Remember, eight nine months ago. Yeah. In the meantime, Jeremiah Morrill did get Mono to compile on Galileo and provided a link to that. So there yep. was always that Mono option there too. Yeah. Um, there was also a concern around the .NET Micro Framework. And yeah. hey, this is we, I think when we talked about this. You're we like, how many choices are we going to have here? Because right. Galileo is not a small board. No right? not a Micro framework for smaller, smaller devices. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, licenses were evolving. Till two, right? That there was a uh, there was the Windows 8 embedded versus the regular Windows, so right. forth. So the licensing is still evolving. And Pete made this very important statement right at the end. But it's what we can support. Quote today.
0: Yeah, and I think the takeaway from that show for me anyway was
2: we're thinking about it, we're getting there, we're not there yet, but yeah. you just wait. And and you could see all these things were moving at the same time. Yeah. Just I don't want to steal Josh Sundish. So hopefully, he'll pull that all together for us with everything that's happened right. in the past nine months since this was written. Right. But I appreciated Harold's concerns, right? It's like, where are we going here? Is it Pi? Is it Minnowboard? Is it Galileo? Like, there's so many choices. And I think you'll get some answers here today. I hope so. Yeah. Harold, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, and iOS.
0: And let me introduce to you Josh Holmes. He's an old friend, and he's also a very passionate soul who gets his kicks out of solving problems with deep-fried awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He's currently employed by Microsoft as the Director of Architecture and the Partner Catalyst team. Prior to joining Microsoft in October 26, Josh was a consultant working with a variety of clients ranging from large Fortune 500 firms to smaller sized companies. Josh is a frequent speaker and lead panelist at national and international software development conferences focusing on web technologies on the Microsoft stack such as ASP.NET, PHP, IronRuby, JavaScript, and more. Community focused, Josh has founded and or run many technology organizations from the Great Lakes Area.net user group to the Ann Arbor Computer Society and was on the forming committee for Codemash. You can contact Josh through his blog at joshholmes.com. Welcome back, buddy. Thank you, and I blush
1: every time I hear you read that. <laughs> 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 you, you always pick the long and self-serving version of that. Nice. Where, you know, Dude, I got it from your blog. Yes, yes, just you yes, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Code MASH
2: is old, man. It is. It yeah, is. A lot of years. It's been a while. Yeah, uh, We're coming up on uh, 10. Well, and Brian Prince is sort of taking the reins from, uh, from Jimmy Holmes. Absolutely. So from the other Holmes. When, when we got
1: started, um, you know, I... I we, we started Codemash. it was Drew Robbins um, and a couple other guys uh, had the idea. I started running with it um, and was theoretically going to be the leader of this, but then I joined Microsoft right yeah. and we did not right want in the to- middle
2: of all of that that's like like show 199 yes, we talked about this. you were going to become a DE right absolutely. Um, they, they had, they had,
1: you know, offered me an interesting position that I couldn't turn down. I, you know, going Do you want to tell that problems. story you told me yesterday about, uh. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll cover that one in a second. So we, uh. great um, story. <laughs> it, it's been an interesting ride at Microsoft. Uh, it's been nine, uh, almost nine years now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so quite a while. But anyways, I, so I joined um microsoft in october and we'd already i mean code matches in flight we were already you know at the point where we're signing contracts right. and stuff with venues and whatnot but we ended up uh turning it over to jim holmes no relation yeah. who did mm-hmm. an amazing job of right. actually running that and ran it for a long long time did a much better job than i ever would have running that
2: <laughs> conference to be you know blunt um he's a he is an organized man he is yeah. amazing. right down to he shows up at at Code matched this last one wearing a shirt that says, I don't know, ask Brian. Yes, <laughs> right. yes. He thought about those details. <laughs> he thinks about the details. He gets the shirt made. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, uh, anyways, he ran it for a very long time. Um, this past one, he turned it over to Brian Prince, yep. uh, who does work for Microsoft. However, he's been involved in that community since the beginning and and so he's got enough respect and credit and everybody knows that this is not a microsoft gig but i also right. think the dynamics change too yeah people just not wound up about that anymore absolutely know? well it's a new microsoft
2: yeah yeah it's it's 100%. absolutely
1: new microsoft and so uh it's not shocking that we're running a you know a third party conference third
2: party conference yeah 100 very good uh comments on harold's comments well
1: i so um harold's comments uh, the answer is yes. We, we have, we've, we've come a long ways in the last eight months. Yep. Um, it's one of those, how long a show is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe we should start with what happened here last night. Well, so, um, what happened here last night is, uh, and I, I showed you guys the picture earlier. Um, we did a, uh, a hack fest, an IOT hack fest, um, here at Dev Intersections and, uh, we had, uh, 133 people come into a room and everybody, uh, got devices up and running and, and, uh, were able to create motion sensors and then internet connected motion sensors. And then they're able to separate the motion sensor, uh, from a light switch where we're, you know, it's, it's actually remotely controlling a light with the, um, sorry, I was saying motion sensor, the light sensor. Yeah. It's controlling a light. Uh, so, so, you so we've got a remote f- control nightlight. Put your finger over the light sensor; the light goes on. Yes, kind of thing. Yeah. So we can set up a remote control nightlight where it's um you know the the, the uh, light sensor can be anywhere. Yeah, I mean it could be in Canada and and the light itself could be somewhere in Mexico, and right. it doesn't really matter because it's all connected through this. Connected so what were the boards internet. that you gave away? Because everybody got a board set, right? Everybody got a. uh So what they got is they got a SparkFun Innovators Kit. Cool with an Arduino Uno. Okay. Um and so the uh, Arduino uh the SparkFun Innovator's kit comes with an Arduino UN, which has got an M Amt- chipset on it so it's a uh, kind of a real-time operating system um and you kind of write not in C for that. Not Windows. Isn't that cool? Uh so yeah, I mean it, it's it's one of those the internet of things is broader than Windows. Absolutely. Windows is definitely a large component of that. Yeah. But it's, it's you know, we're, we're I work very heavily on the back end. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Pete works very heavily on the front end. And mm-hmm. between the two of us, we've got a great full circle <laughs> yeah. appearance on all of these things. Right. Um, and, uh and, and it's great. So what were they writing code in? So they were actually writing code in Node.js. Neat. And so, we're using… Uh, so
2: JavaScript, actually. JavaScript. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: so we're using JavaScript, and uh, we're using a set of libraries uh, called Johnny5. Okay. And what Johnny5 does is it controls a Arduino remotely. Um, so, on the Arduino, you install a, a standard package called the standard formata, mm-hmm. which all it does is it sets up the Arduino to receive commands. Neat. That's, and, and, and send commands back, right?
0: So you're not actually writing code that is going to be transferred and embedded onto the silicon of the, of the board. You're, you have something running on the board that's interpreting commands. You're writing something on your laptop that is sending those commands to the board. Is that yes. good?
1: Absolutely. So we're using the processing power on the host computer right. to do the work, um, and then send the commands to the Arduino. Now, Here's where it gets fun and why the Yune is an interesting device for us. Okay. Is that the Yun has. How do you spell uh, Yun? By? Uh, Y-U-N. Okay. Um, the Yun has two processors actually on it. Okay. One is the Amtel chipset, and the other is it's got a uh, Linux system on a chip. Neat. And so it's running a variant of OpenWRT, which is the mm-hmm. same kind of Linux distro that's on a lot of the Linksys routers, right? Neat. Um It also has Wi-Fi B, G, and N. Nice. Um, and you know, and 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 so the first six labs that we ran last night, uh, they what they do is they get all the stuff working where you know you're you're con- remotely controlling the Arduino. Yeah. Lab number seven is you deploy the Node.js code to the Linux system on a chip that's running on the same board, okay. and it's controlling the other chip. Oh, that's oh, neat. that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so you now have an autonomous little device sure. that is written in JavaScript. Wow. And it's controlling itself.
0: Wow. And it went so smoothly, there was no real issues, I heard. No, the- Everybody got the, it working.
1: Uh, everybody got the uh, got, got at least through the first three labs. Uh-huh. Most people got through all of the labs and went on to do other things. Wow! Um, So there were a lot of people that were wiring up LED, uh, sorry, LCDs, Mm -hmm. um, or servos, or other things to make other interesting things. And so it was—it was cool. It was really cool. That's neat.
0: Yeah. So you know, what's interesting is this ecosystem is so vast and so huge. Like I had never even heard of that thing, and I thought I was. Up on all of the latest <laughs> boards and stuff. So if you want to get one of these things, how much are we talking to lay out? So
2: the YUN is about $70. Wow. So not oh, okay. terrible. Yeah, not terrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, hardware's not that expensive, and it runs JavaScript.
1: Absolutely. Well, and that's that's the exciting part about uh, kind of where we're at in the industry today. Uh, you know, when I, when I talk about Internet of Things, um, now is the most exciting time that we've seen in the it Internet sure of Things. Um, Internet of Things itself is not new.
2: right? Yeah. <laughs> we've
1: had this for a long time. The term itself was concocted back in the 90s. Yep. Yeah, and the term itself is... You know, you can talk about factory
0: automation mm-hmm. or home automation. Right. It's sort of the same thing, you know? It really you is. You really have a lot of devices out there. You're aggregating data from them and making sense out of it. I mean, it's really what we're talking about. Absolutely. So I got to tell you, I recently, before I came out here to Dev Intersection, I, I got a Raspberry Pi 2, downloaded Windows 10 onto it, and deployed right. some code to it. And it was just absolutely easy. And simple. it was a XAML app. Simple as Pi. Simple nice. as Pi. little Boom. F- and the thing was connected to my big TV, you know, my large screen TV through HDMI. Yep. And I wrote a simple XAML app, plugged in a mouse, and you know, working with it, and it just freaking works. And I, I didn't expect that from you know the Raspberry Pi. I was always th- thinking of headless apps, right? Right. Where that, like you guys did, you just wrote something that controls some stuff, and there's no UI. But to be able to throw a, a monitor on it or a, a TV or something, and actually control it, that's pretty awesome.
1: It really is.
0: And their Raspberry Pi was like 50 bucks. At 35. Well, the one that I got was oh. 50. Well, yeah. yeah.
2: You got yeah. the big one. <laughs> yeah, I got the big one. But I think this is what Harold, or what Pete couldn't say to Harold at the time, right. was Windows 10. Right. Yes. Right? Nine months ago, you weren't allowed to talk about Windows 10 yet, and yeah. Windows 10 sort of brings all this together like that's the os that's going to be free for iot devices and so windows 10 for iot core is what harold wanted right and, and and Pete knew about it, wasn't allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Yes. Which is why that whole, it's you know, all we could say today, right? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. not allowed to decide when announcements are made. Right.
0: What about he those he knew it was
2: coming together. Well, what yeah. about
1: those boards that he was talking about? Do they still exist in some form? And the Minnowboard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Minnowboard Max is a uh, is a great board. Um, it's a little bit on the pricey, quote unquote, side. But it's a bit more powerful, um, too. It's, right? it's a bit more powerful. It's got a lot more capability. It's about $120. Okay. Um, and then the Raspberry Pi kind of starts at the $35 range. Um, the Galileo, which is the board that he has, um, it still exists. You can still buy it. It unfortunately doesn't support Windows 10. All right. Oh, um, no. And Pete can go into details on why. Um I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. So let's
0: talk about the Minnowboard
1: Max then. Yep, 120 bucks. And tell us about the and, and it does run Windows 10. It does run Windows 10. It's and, a Intel Atom processor. Okay. Um, so basically anything you can do on an Atom processor, you can do on it. Yep. Um, and so it's doing. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've deployed universal apps to it. Right. I've deployed, um, both headless and non-headless uh, devices or uh, applications to it. Okay. Um, those are you know it's it's an awesome little board. So uh, one thing I
0: noticed uh, I- about Windows 10 in right now as we speak, no Wi-Fi support, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi device support. Is that one of the reasons why you chose a non-Windows 10 board?
1: For the, uh... so uh, to be honest, the, the reason that we chose the boards that we did and, and, and whatnot was mm-hmm. twofold. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, uh, Arduino has got a, a, a fantastic reputation out there. And, you know, we are, um, you know, we wanted to focus on kind of the end uh, you know, all the, the Azure side of, uh, the, the internet of things, the internet part right. more so than the yeah. things. And the second is is that we placed the
2: order for the devices a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's also another aspect of Wi-Fi, which is anytime you have a radio on something, there's a whole other set of licensing requirements. And yes. every country has different rules. Yes. Like, you can sell a computing device anywhere. And if it's got, like, UA authorization, right. like, that's good enough even in Canada, much less the rest of the world. Yeah. But as soon as it has a radio, yes. And that's why most radios I've ever found in any small device, they're external boards for a reason. Right. Right? It's actually easier. I, I can't sell the U.S. Wi-Fi board to a guy in Germany. Right. He needs an EU board. Yep. But I guess, I mean, it's no surprise, it's no secret
0: anyway that you we will have Wi-Fi soon. I mean, it's this is just the first iteration. Of course we will. Right. Of course we will. We don't will. know when, but... Yeah. But that's coming. Yes. And, and it's more devices
1: as well, right? You know,
0: device drive, it's a really driver issue, probably.
1: Yes, yes. We're very early on in yeah. this, and uh, the first handful of boards are the Raspberry Pi, the MiniBoard Max, um, yeah. and so on and so forth. Have you seen the $9 PC? I've seen that, actually. I've, I've, I've read about it. I haven't actually seen one. Yeah, but no, I've, nobody's I've, seen one. They don't yeah. exist yet. But yeah.
0: I think they have 15 <laughs> days to go on their kickstarter they've raised 1.5 million they
1: only wanted to raise fifty thousand. Right, right great <laughs> that's like but yeah. there people people want these but you know it's one of those it's amazing to me and it just blows my mind what was the first computer you had that was even more than one core and even close to 900 megahertz yeah, yeah. i don't i mean but the raspberry pi is yeah. is a 35 five dollar board that's Fits in the palm of my hand. It's crazy. That is a 900 megahertz quad core device. So now you don't think of having just one,
0: right? I mean, you know, no. They're 35. Filet filet mignon is an expensive steak, but when they're nine dollars each, you know, you're going to have two or three. So, so what I'm saying is, envision an IoT scenario where you have lots of these things, right? You know, doing
1: doing things together that one device wouldn't be able to do by itself absolutely well we were working with one customer and uh can't go into specifics but they had a box that had a whole bunch of sensors on it and their initial selling cost of this box was uh their 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 bill of materials yeah seven thousand dollars wow we're like oh, what's in it, uh, <laughs> is, it is, is it
2: magic <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: does it come with a person who runs out every hour and does i, I don't know it's a little leprechaun inside yeah <laughs> but you know we're, we're we're trying to trying to break the model down and going okay well so rather than having one board that is giant yeah it does and all these things does everything let's 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 break this up right let's 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 let's, let's apply a microservices architecture to this and start you know because because now instead of one sensor per controller we can we can do that yeah Mm -hmm. and the
2: controllers are 35 dollars
1: yeah yeah and actually we don't even need that big of a controller right we can go smaller than that and have the 35 dollar controller be the centralized gateway because it actually has the brain power to do things like security and you know um you know the 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 handshakes the networking whatnot. all of the communication pieces yeah so everything mm-hmm. else needs to be a kind of a dumb node yeah so like we can go get a five dollar controller controller with a sensor with a sensor yeah. and a ble or a wi-fi or some way to talk
2: back to the centralized controller right. and we're good yeah, yeah. it's kind of like soa for iot there you <laughs> go <laughs> speaking of tlas i wonder <laughs> if we're going to get to a place where the sensors the expensive bit i mean shouldn't it be the, I mean, and sensors are awfully cheap. Yes. But shouldn't we get to a, t- a time when the sensor's are the expensive part? The, because the controllers are just trivial? The price on the
1: controllers and, and whatnot is rapidly decreasing. Right. Uh, much faster than the sensors are. Yeah. And I think that's partially because that's where the research is. Mm-hmm.
2: Until we get to a point where they're cheaper and then people are going to go, oh, crap, the sensors are expensive. Let's go fix you that. Go ahead. hunt mm-hmm. that down. But right now, let's hunt down the... The biggest impact is to get yes. the controller... To pennies,
1: yeah. yes, and we're close. With a nine dollar PC on the way, that means we've got controller, we've got memory, we've got uh, or, you know, CPU of some sort, memory and uh, networking, and you know, and that thing that. that thing has Wi Fi built in, right? Exactly. What? Yeah, nine
0: dollar PC. It's a For one nine dollars. It's a one gigahertz Atom processor, I think ARM processor, and uh, half a gig of RAM. Wow, and Wi Fi. If it comes true, yeah, yeah. And the only thing that's weird about it is composite video out but there is a a stackable board you can get for hdmi out but that's going to be more than the nine dollar pc
1: itself yeah right it's crazy well that gets back to the point of the the sensors and the boards are
2: going to be more expensive than the controllers themselves well richard yeah buddy guess
1: what
0: time it is now
2: Uh, it must be that happy time again
0: you know it it's time to announce my new headless app it's called brem bones brem bones let's wait wait for it wait for that reference to come back Elementary School, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Ichabod Crane, Brem Bones, The Headless Horseman. No? Anything?
2: Uh, it's it's got to be a Northeast thing. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm in Canada. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> sure you know what I'm talking
2: about? I know I know who Bones is. Okay. It, so. okay. So oh, yeah, you know Ohio, I, Connecticut. Yeah, well, yeah. not originally Ohio. Uh. <laughs> I
0: thought the, I thought, well, okay, Google Bing it.
2: Uh, there b- you go, Bremboes. Bones. Brem bones. Brem
0: bones. <laughs> anyway, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft <laughs> collection to one lucky member who's not laughing right now of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash trial. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Tom C. Christensen.
2: Congratulations, Tom. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah,
0: golf clap for you, sir. we <laughs> got to make T-shirts that say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tom just won a Telerik DevCraft collection, a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And hey, if you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, just answer a few questions, and join the Rocks fan club. It's free to sign up. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we pick one lucky member of the Rocks fan club and give them a free $5,000 technology shopping spree. They can buy anything they want. And of course, that begs the question, what would you buy with $5,000, Josh? IoT boy. Uh Oh.
1: $5,000 would buy a lot of little Raspberry Pis (laughs) and (laughs) and other (laughs) kind of devices. Absolutely. Uh, I will
2: make it rain raspberry pies. Yeah, absolutely. You would want to be my friend at that time. <laughs> so really, you need more IoT hardware? I would think working in this space, you it's everywhere. Oh, I can always have more. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, you know. Uh,
0: <laughs> How much is enough? Not, Not enough. enough. Yeah. right.
1: Correct amount is more. So, the correct number of IoT devices is N plus one. Right. <laughs> yeah, where right. N is the current number you have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always. It never changes. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, that formula is, is a constant. It will right. work. One yes. more awesome. IoT device. Yep. By the way, uh, Carl, while I had a second there, I tried to vote. Oh, yeah? Yes. And, and what happened? the wonderful um, hotel here—they use one IP address for all the outgoing traffic. Uh, and I
2: already voted, and you already <laughs> voted.
1: That's funny. That's true. So I'll, I'll, I will vote for you when I get on to a different IP address. Oh, thank you very much. You're most welcome. Yes. I,
0: I can't wait to see what the number is. You know,
1: holy crap, Carl Franklin, you're <laughs> yeah. famous. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Well, if, they're, if they're really binding by IP address, we, we could just drive around Scosto with a cell oh, phone, what and a every great time we idea. hop nodes, we can yep. vote again. You know, you just Gave some crazy listener a great
1: idea. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get an email about that. Yeah. Well. So, but I know about this because I've I've done this. I've you know so. Uh, when I joined Microsoft in 2006, um, you know, we had a lot of metrics and anybody right. who knows the, the Microsoft knows we love to be driven by. Oh, metrics. here's the story I want you to uh, tell. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember, you know, I didn't tell this earlier. So a couple of years in, I can't remember which year it was. Um, one of the metrics that they came up with is we had to reach, I think it was two million, maybe two and a half million people, um, yeah. on, online. Right. And, um, on the face of it, I, you know, it makes sense. Okay. We need broader reach for yeah. all the evangelists. That makes sense. But you know, this was a. Everybody was focused and screaming and frustrated about this internally, and I was like, uh, 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 "Can I do something important?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they and they said, "No, this is the most important Get metric." Get this number. So I called I called uh, you guys in July or August, mm-hmm. right? And I said, "Can I come on the show?" Yes. Okay. Of course. Great. So I came on the show. Then I looked at the numbers and I mailed my uh, manager <laughs> the, the 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 you know the numbers and went, "Okay." I'm done.
2: Press <laughs> that one.
1: Can I go do something important <laughs> now? <laughs> so it's one of those, you know, there's yeah. there's there's mm, brokers, damn wise and statistics and it's, metrics. Yeah, it's um, too funny. Yes. So that was that was fun. And thank you very oh, much, sure. by the way, for making that a very easy year for me. Well, obviously,
0: uh, <laughs> they came to listen to you, so you know, you should be happy
2: about yourself. Yeah, it works but, both uh, ways. Yeah. So what's yes. your actual job now? Like, oh you, yeah, yeah, we, we didn't even talk about that yet. I mean, um, I, I love the workshop and the workshop was awesome, but is that all you do is run from place to place and run these workshops?
1: No, no, no. Uh So um as 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 Carl mentioned earlier, I'm on the um, partner catalyst team. Okay? okay. And so what the partner catalyst team does is uh, we take a look at our customers and our partners' gnarliest and hairiest problems. Right. And our customer set that we work with is kind of the Global 2000 or... Startups, mm-hmm. All right? So the biggest or, or the, the smallest? smallest. <laughs> I <Yes>. love it. <laughs> so either end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but actually, I mean, anybody in between. If you come to us with an interesting enough problem, yeah. I mean, you have we're to digging.
2: triage. You can't do everything.
1: Exactly. So we triage. Well, we've got a team of about 70 hardcore engineers and mm-hmm. architects who most of them have, you know, uh, multiple years in product teams within Microsoft or other large companies. Right. Um, a lot of them have come from a big startup background or they were in a product team, um, and ship major products. You know things like Active Directory or um, you know large components of Microsoft, yeah. and then went to a startup, had success there, and have come back because they found this fun. Right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. I'm yeah, working great. with a bunch of volunteers. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't have to work. Right.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, anyways, so the kinds of problems that we're doing, we're we're doing a, a tremendous amount with IoT. Yeah. Uh, we're doing a tremendous amount with machine learning. Um, we're doing a tremendous amount with, um, uh, kind of healthcare and, um, big finance. Um, we've got, you know, areas of interest that we go tackle. And obviously IOT plays a big role in that. I'm glad you mentioned machine learning because, you know, that the, the server side
0: of IOT is perhaps the most, how shall we say, um, amorphous kind of you know uh, some, somewhat unattainable to mere mortals or at least that's the perception right you know the data analysis it's not a simple thing that you can just take a class in you know it it, it takes some real talent to be able to tease out reality from uh, this data and the Absolutely. machine learning stuff at azure is
1: just Oh, it's amazing! KCAS. Yeah, so that's what I did talk on yesterday uh, yeah. here at uh, Dev Intersections, mm-hmm. um, and so the machine learning side of all this is is really exciting, and it kind of completes the picture with IoT, mm-hmm. um, where devices, as we talked about, are already you know they're becoming much cheaper, much more accessible, right? But cloud computing on the back end, we've got to have a place to put all this data, right, right? Sure. And when I can for pennies a gig store data forever and I have more horsepower than I've ever had in, the, in my life right. to crunch that data and do something interesting with it. We've got one customer who has 40 petabytes worth of data. Ouch. <laughs> I just it's a little bit of data. That the yeah. that's uh, a lot. um It'll keep you busy. Yeah. So to put that in context, when um when when uh one of the major search engines being Google whoever does a scrape of the internet. That's fourteen petabytes. Right. Wow. So this is three times the size of the internet.
2: Wow. <laughs> and they've got this just in their warehouse yeah. and just sitting there. Because sitting there. You're not going to print it out, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can't exactly go down to Best Buy and buy hard drives to carry it with you. Right. Nope. That, that would be a lot of tapes, to be honest. To, you know, back that up. What can, what can I get these days? I think I can easily get a four-terabyte drive. I think there's a few eights out there. Yeah. I, I feel very scared running an eight-terabyte drive. A single
0: <laughs> box. A single box right, with right. eight-terabyte. First of all, we want to put all that on it and just trust a single thing with eight-terabyte. I mean, I've, is it I've me? Richard, do you have the, that No, no, totally. It's, to way,
2: it's way too much. But then you think... If I get a thousand of them, I have eight petabytes. Yeah. And you need <laughs> five thousand of them yeah. to move that data set. Right. <laughs> I right.
0: almost feel I almost don't feel and this is a total tangent, and I don't know how you guys feel about it. I almost don't trust regular hard drives anymore. You know, the the no.
2: platters. I'll, this it, whole spinning magnetic media thing—it's never going to amount to much.
0: Well, of course it has, <laughs> but I, I just don't trust it. It's gotten it us to where we are. You're I've happier burned, with the SSDs. I've been burned so many times, yeah. you know.
2: Well, mechanical parts are mechanical.
0: Yeah, the SSDs just make more sense to me. Yeah. Yep.
2: But, you know, it, 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 you know, technology
1: moves on. There was a time when boat travel was the predominant way to get from Europe to
2: America. Yeah. Right. Once upon a time.
1: Uh, once upon a time. And
2: that has all changed. Yeah. We're, keep, <laughs> you're continuing to evolve in the space. Wait, what? Day. It's changed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good old New London. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, um, one of my guys, a um, uh, guy named Beat, uh who actually you guys should have on to specifically talk about machine learning. Great. great. He's an we will. outstanding guy. I'll introduce you guys. Um, but Bayat, great um, uh, architect and machine learning guy, uh, he built a fantastic little utility that they open up their data set, they're able to strip out. All of the um, uh, personally identifiable information, right. the PII data, just by tagging it and saying these columns. This type and of data. What he does is he strips all that data off, tokenizes it, mm-hmm. and then ships the remainder up into Azure where you can maintain it indefinitely or you can use it transiently and, and just do processing and then delete it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but so this then- is 40 petabytes on prem. Yeah oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot to mention that part.
2: Yeah, yeah, because here we are, I to talk about the cloud. It's like, ah, oh, 40 petabytes in the cloud, that's going to be a big bill. No, 40 petabytes on prem. That's yes. a bigger bill, well, which is yeah, a much, much bigger just bill. Just think about how many racks of drives that is. Just yeah, to have and that all that the exist. infrastructure to support it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Backups.
1: Yeah. And so <laughs> we were looking at if they store this indefinitely in Azure, we could drop their cost by close to 20 fold. Wow. Wow. <laughs> With the PII out with the pii out so they would keep the pii on prem, right and then they're able to use our big racks and and, and our big Rack machine so they have learning the
2: association they can do all their analytics and stuff and then map the pii problem with a particular
1: record right. you know this record has this problem we're able to send it back down on premise and then do the matching up and right. say oh this was george Okay. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and and call George. Hey, you've got this problem. Yeah. You know. So, uh, but that PII and George's name and and all of his other identifiable information never leave on premise.
2: So we got this beautiful hybrid scenario there, which gets around a lot of laws is in a lot tool of different could countries. To be publicly available, like one of the things I think is interesting about this team, and I've you know I've looked at them before, is you guys go work on these problems, and you often come out with stuff that's going to make our lives easier. Yes,
1: absolutely. So, um, the this team. Almost everything that we do ends up in, um, GitHub. Right. Under an MIT or a Apache 2 license. Any particular repository, or is it like all over? Currently, the place? we are scattered in, um, a number of different, uh, repositories. So this one in particular is under, uh, Fagler's um, uh, GitHub repository, which is github.com slash cloud B E A T s c h okay so that's his that's his full name with the word or sorry not not quite full name but uh his uh cloud and then bat s c h and uh that is also by the way his um email address is the bat s c h right at, at at microsoft at microsoft.com um and the project is called jagline Uh, cause it's half a Jaguar, half a lion, Ah. this (laughs) hybrid scenario. Right. Um, and so you can go out there under uh Jag lion under his repository and get access to this tool right now. Nice. Wow. Great. And so, you know, almost everything that my team does, we do, uh, we release open source and then we write blog posts and we write case studies and we come on shows like this
2: and talk about it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and try to get the word out. But I mean, some of the stuff turns into case studies. Some of it I think probably stays private, right? Yes. You are are providing competitive advantage to certain companies.
1: Yes. but we try to do, we try to do the non-differentiated, uh, heavy lifting, right? So in this particular case, Jagline that was the non-differentiated heavy lifting, which is they had a big problem. They had all this data that they could not lift themselves. They could because not it do was themselves. full of PII. And so we wrote this utility
2: that turned There's it around. A PII, abstract extractor, Absolutely. Yeah, mm. Tokenizer.
1: I worked with a number of different startups um, that were doing home automation stuff. Right. And they all had very similar issues around they needed um, uh, to be able to manage their devices they need to be able to register their devices they need to be able to send telemetry data and receive commands right yeah and this is before we got to the point where um, you know the azure iot team had come together and was putting out what, what's coming out uh, sometime later this summer um, which i'll talk about in a minute mm-hmm. and so we wrote an open source implementation written in node.js called nitrogen right yeah. And so you and know, that's what, one of the projects
2: I was thinking about. That's
1: what you used last night. That's what we used last night was Nitrogen. Right. Uh, so Nitrogen is the back end. It's an IoT back end, uh, but it's an, just an open source framework right. that you can go take and modify to your uh, to your whim and to your, uh, to your will. And as the product team fills in with um, uh, Azure IoT Hub, we've got an early implementation, um, reference implementation really, that – We're going to be able to map all the learnings, map a lot of the ideas to the IoT hub when it comes out. Josh, I consider one of my jobs to listen to the voice in my head, which is the voice
0: of the millions of people listening that are screaming at questions and try to filter those and direct them to you. And one I hear right now is, okay, this is great that we're all partying and communicating with each other, but how do we do this securely? Yes. What's the security story for for all of this stuff. So when we, t- first of all, when we talked to Clemens Vasters, low those many months ago, yeah. uh, one of the things that he talked about was embedding keys in the silicon of these devices that the devices should never be servers. They should always be clients and that the keys sh- are not hackable when they're embedded in the silicon. Is that a reality? Is that coming true
1: or is, th- are there other strategies for? Being secure. So there's a lot of good strategies for being secure. The um uh he's absolutely right. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that Clemens and I vehemently agree on <laughs> is um uh security is an incredibly important part of all this. I mean, yeah. if you think about uh, the threat modeling of home automation, yeah. I don't even have to be able to crack the packets. If I know that there is a motion activated camera in your house, if I just watch the traffic, if there's not enough traffic, I know there's nobody home, right?
2: Hmm. Uh, so you've already tipped your hand. <laughs> you already zipped your hand, yeah, right? So I don't, I don't even have
1: to crack the, the packets in order to know that, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, security starts even before we start talking about what's on the wire and right. what's in the in the uh, silicon. Is the, you know we need to start the threat modeling long before that and work our way in now when uh, when it gets down to the devices themselves um, absolutely we need to be able to blow in the security credentials at the factory if possible so that because otherwise what ends up happening is, is that the device you know there's that uh very open and accessible um uh for hacking time period between the time that somebody unwraps a device mm-hmm. and the time that they get it
2: registered mm. right anytime in there somebody else could could hijack it yeah <laughs> remember when you used to before we had decent firewalls you'd have to stand an xp machine up plug it into your broadband to get it patched yes and then the time it took you to download the patch the machine would order to be hacked Oh, absolutely. Because there was just those scanners out there watching for IPs. And if you had those I see and you talk about the original B4SP two, yep. When broadband was first coming into play, like it was that bad. Yes. So you're talking the same thing in the IoT spaces. Like, how do I exactly get this device just patched to standard? Yes. Without it being hacked in the meantime. Right. So what if what if um,
0: I have an IoT device that I'm deploying directly to, there's no Wi-Fi. And I have my laptop connected to no internet. I'm using a crossover cable to go directly from my
1: mm-hmm. machine
0: to that. And I write and deploy a program where the key is just in the software. Right. Is that essentially embedded
1: in the silicon? Because it's not on it's a... pretty close. It's pretty close. So yeah. the one difference is, is that that can always be spoofed and, and um, uh, messed with. Right and, and how exactly? So if, would you have to connect to that and deploy another app to it? If some other device, some other app, uh, gets onto that particular device, yeah. now give you an example of this that that I think is just absolutely fascinating. Uh, there's a company that I've been working with called Red Balloon Security these guys are they they blow my mind. Can you hold that thought because I have got another question I got to get answered before I forget. All right. Yes. So you what you
0: mean is that somebody would have to physically connect a USB port to it with a laptop and deploy
1: another app to it. Let me let me tell you the story. Okay. So the um uh what these guys at Red Bloom Security did is they started hacking uh at the firmware level okay. on a number of different devices. So um my favorite and where this guy became internet famous the company became internet famous is uh he printed a resume and the act of printing the resume he had embedded a virus in the document that hacked the printer and Whoa. he rewrote the firmware on the printer and moved the heads back and forth fast enough that the printer caught on fire on that- stage during a conference talk. Oh, my God. There's a that's video awesome. of this. Search it. Yeah. Go to your – open your favorite search engine and go take a look for printer on fire, <laughs> red uh, balloon security. I would not have liked to have worked at that printer company that day. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> the one that's a little ter- more terrifying to me is that um, the demo that he did for us in our pitch event was he actually hacked the printer and – uh, still, you know, using the same door, right? Now, this is, this is, um, can I, can I throw in a monkey wrench? Yep. The printer is essentially a server.
0: It so, takes a connection from an outside client, takes some data, does something with that data. Yes. Your IoT device doesn't do that. Not necessarily. All right. We're getting
1: to that point. We'll, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll come right we'll around there. to that in a second. All right. So the more, uh, insidious one is that he, um, hacked the printer and rewrote the firmware not to set the printer on fire, but rather to start hacking IP phones. Right. It's sort of the, the building. point. So it's connected print- to the main it's network, it's and everybody to can talk to it. So and the printer so, is now a, a, what do you call them? A spam bot. Yeah, yeah now, now the printer is a spam bot. It's the beachfront inside the building, inside the firewalls that nobody's looking at. Right, for printing a doc.
2: Hey, I've got this document. Would you mind printing it out for me?
1: But then what he did is he took that, and he hacked all the IP phones. In the building as well, right? So that any IP phone in that building could now be a listening device, <laughs> right? For for because any conference, any meeting that happens in that room, it's gonna be an IP phone now, in the room. Yeah. It's now a, a a multi-person chat, right? Um, it, it's now a party line, and so you know he shaped the way that I think about security and think about iot and think about buildings right it's like i look around this building we're sitting here in a hotel room yep. mm-hmm. and i start looking at you know there's a motion detector up there there is a fire detector yep. in yeah. the fire detector that there are sprinkler. more sensors yeah there are absolutely there are sprinklers um those sprinklers are going to have sensors on them for mm-hmm. um, uh, smoke and humidity and and heat. And, yep. heat and so on um there are other sensors in this room there's probably speakers in here Speakers can be
2: microphones. Oh, no, they're almost required to be speakers in here. Yes. Be- because because it's a be- hotel. They need to be able to tell everyone to get out if there's an incident without Absolutely. speakers in here.
0: And you said speakers can be microphones. That's speakers true. A speaker is a microphone backwards. Yeah, That's it, all is. it is. It is.
1: Yeah. And so all of a sudden you th-
2: start thinking about those
1: as not just, you know, the motion detector, but now think about the attack service on that. Mm-hmm. Right. And anyways, Red Balloon Security, they sell firmware level secure, uh, um, um, uh, security software, so okay. they write virus scanners effectively for firmware level. Right? Wow! And so they they embed underneath your firmware yeah. and are watching the I/O ports for unusual traffic. So they're below the OS. Yes. Well, it's firmware, right? Before the OS is even loaded, this that's is right. the software that loads the OS. Absolutely. So that's pretty slick. Now. If you have a device that is, let's take my um, internet connection, uh, internet connected uh, light sensor that is yeah. just you know turning on and off, um, you know, think about threat modeling on this. There's a couple of things. One is it's not actually taking connections; it's just sending data. Mm-hmm. So fairly low chance that it's going to be attacked. Right, and this is one of the reasons Clemens says always just make them clients, never yes. servers. Absolutely. Here's the problem, though. What if and, and and this is this is beyond the device, okay? And this is this is where the security credentials are incredibly important, and um, uh, why you want to try to blow them in early so that they can't be spoofed, can't be hacked, can't be uh, uh, intercepted. Um, what if I spoof that motion uh, sensor? Spoof the motion sensor, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you mean the light sensor. Sorry, I keep saying motion sensor. Light yeah. sensor. Thank you. Okay. Um I what if I can spoof that light sensor? And what if the thing on the other end is not just turning on a light but it's actually doing something more important? Sure. Yeah. Now all of a sudden So in other words, so, for example, so you you can you not necessarily hack the client, you
0: hack what the client is depending connects on. to. Well, this yes. is so in other words the thing it's a man of the, the client of the type thinks of it's connecting to it's you yep. know, it's it's authenticated server I mean, so right. let, let,
1: let, let's make this a little more real of a scenario sure. where um let's say that we've got a oil pipeline and we're able to tell the upstream that the valve is open but we reverse the commands in the man in the middle so right. it's actually trying to close it and we tell the downstream that
2: the pressure is low when it's actually high Yeah. Right? well stuck now <laughs> Make the centrifuges spin out of control, but the, the gauges all look normal. Exactly. The, my favorite spoof right now, Jane's defense was just talking about this, is spoofing GPS signals to confuse drones. Making yeah. drones yes. crash because they think they're in a different location than they actually are. Right. right. So you haven't hacked the drone at all, so right. so
0: I get why it's bad, but let's talk about how we can uh, prevent it. So, right. how do you prevent when a client needs to connect to a server? There obviously has to be some sort of handshake going on and some authentication. Um, how do you prevent that from being spoofed? I I think it starts with embedding the key in the silicon, yes, right? Because that all of that data that goes across is going to be. Different every time. It's going right. to be symmetrically encrypted. And that's completely, almost, not completely impossible, but it's very hard to,
1: to it, real-time... Uh, uh, dramatically raises the bar, mm-hmm. and right. honestly, I mean, it, it's one of those realities of security and threat modeling is that it's an arms race, right? Yeah. And you know, in 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 those kind of arms races, you don't necessarily have to outrun the bear; you just have to outrun the, the other last guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy, the bear's chase. That's right. <laughs> and and so you know that and you know Red Bull and security, for example, yeah. that that's part of their pitch. They said, you know, we don't have a recorded hack of our software. Great. However. Um, we're not saying that it's impossible. We're just saying that we're going to help you out. Run- so, so just it's
2: avoiding your, hu- your own hubris, right? Yes. Like, so yeah.
0: is Red Balloon Security something I could install on my Raspberry Pi before I load Windows on it? Very uh, potentially, actually.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Red Balloon Security. But yeah. it's one of those things you're I, I don't know that they've done that or not. No, but no either. But be, it'd be cool to talk to This them. was supposed to be what the Trusted Computing Initiative was supposed to address. Yep. And so Trusted Computing does a
1: great thing with bigger devices and Windows devices. Right. and And it's actually, it's an awesome
2: Although it got a lot of pushback because it was more, you know, people were concerned it was more about anti-piracy, not about this kind of low-level hacking
1: well and that's that's because they were interpreting what you know some of the other bits that microsoft was doing at the time right there's actually a tremendous amount of great stuff in the trustworthy computing right and and it really starts with let's be secure from the ground up and oh by the way we have to make some money so we're going to throw in some of this right.
2: stuff too um, which, which kind of undermine you know you don't yeah. want people fighting against this you want right. them to be able to be certain about their computers yep yeah, absolutely and uh well and it it's not like it went away. We really stopped talking about it a fair yes, bit. But the trustworthy computing guys are still incredibly uh engaged and, and active and, and so on. And really, you know, now that we're headed down this path and you yep. could, it's I think for more people it's this realization of holy cow, we really need to have a sense of security from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, the side effect of this PKI encryption approach is if I am able to decrypt your stuff, it must be you. Right. Right. So that sort of helps right off yes. the bat. So the, you get this attitude of encrypt all the time. And yet, you know, the funny part about the GPS story is military doesn't have that problem because military uses a set of encrypted frequencies, which means they know what satellites they were talking to. Yes, absolutely.
1: Well, and, and you know, I've seen the GPS thing uh, happen to me a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, anecdotal data. Yep. Right. I was on the highway driving along and all of a sudden my gps said that i was somewhere else 300 yards off the road yep. mm-hmm. driving through a
2: field and yeah. i'm going but I'm i did not do. i'm, I'm, I'm hey, anytime you go see. down to the san diego waterfront where all those yeah. aircraft carriers are your gps will go nuts yes and
1: but i was driving along 300 yards off into the field and went no i'm on the road yep and then that afternoon, I found out that we had just started bombing in uh, Iraq. Right. I was like, oh, uh, well. Oh, well. well, all right well.
2: <laughs> so, yes. There we go.
1: Absolutely. But we, we haven't even talked about the stuff that I'm really excited about,
2: which is the back end and, and, and the we're Azure. Time. I know. Oh, oh, come I on. We can, we can go, a little, we go a little longer. That's yeah, all right. let's go a few more minutes okay. without a doubt. What's your favorite bit here, Josh? So
1: my favorite bit is the Azure IoT solutions on the back end and the yes. Azure IoT Hub. Um yeah. I mean we were able to reach a incredibly massive scale. One of my favorite things that I've done on this team is I helped build a solar panel array where we were pushing 750,000 messages a second into the back end uh close to a gigabyte worth of traffic and um we didn't even you know we were using a vent hub on the back end for our ingress mm, right. and it didn't even hiccup. Yeah. it was just you this know what it's built swallowing for. all that data and then on the back end of it it's spinning up extra consumers to handle that fairly outstanding amount of ingress yeah then we can run that through storm or through um, uh, you know the, the the streaming analytics packages mm-hmm. and start getting real-time analytics um, in addition we can store all that data off into um, you know long-term storage and process that with HD insights mm-hmm. and anyways I mean, I I could talk for hours and hours and hours on that stuff, but that's what I really get excited about is the back end of all this stuff, too. Right, right. Well, that's great. And that IoT uh, hub... Is fairly new this last year, right? We have a ne- We announced it, uh, at convergence, uh, in March. Yeah. And, um, you know, you'll see a public preview of that sometime this summer. I don't have the exact dates on me, but sometime this summer, we'll have a public preview of that and looking for GA sometime shortly thereafter. And is it like a data lake? Is it the kind of thing where you don't have to define data ahead of time? You just start
0: sending data up to it and then you can absolutely. Absolutely. Look so the
1: idea is that you'll be able to log into the portal. It'll say, one of these, please, and it will provision you uh gateways, security tokens for your devices. Uh there's a registry service so that you can actually go ask it for. I need a hundred thousand IP addresses that my factory can blow into the silicon. Wow. Um wow. It, Yeah. And we're gonna have um uh, a C core library that'll run on any platform. So that could be uh Linux, that could be Windows, that could be Android, that could be whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and then we're gonna wrap that in a number of different other language bindings so that mm-hmm. it's easily accessible for the things that you want to uh to use. Mm-hmm. Um and then on the back end of um the ingest pipeline, which is heavily using uh event hub. You know, we've got a tremendous number of uh, default selections for you for message routing, message piping, um, real-time analytics, long-term cold storage, um, and one of those long-term cold storage is actually data lake. So, what <laughs> what
0: kind of prices are we looking at? I mean, this is the thing with with IoT; right. it generates a lot of data, and
2: you know, we're I'm, I'm looking at the price schedule for the Event Hub. It's three cents per million events. Holy crap! Plus one point five cents. Which twelve dollars a month for uh, a megabyte of ingress, two megabytes of outgress? Like it's it's going to be a cascade of things. But when they, right. when they talk about the basic packages, it sort of starts at thirty bucks a month. Yeah, and you can probably send a lot of data for thirty bucks. A month. You can send yeah. a lot of data for
1: thirty <laughs> bucks a month. Absolutely. Wow.
2: I'm sure it's gonna That's add great. up when it's enough and it's large enough and storage costs money and so forth. But by
0: then hopefully you're you know making money with yeah. your data, right? Right,
2: absolutely. To compare that to the outlay of the infrastructure to even turn this on. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna run it yourself. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's the cost of one device yeah. right. a month. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Well, maybe it's more, maybe it's ten devices. Maybe. Dun, dun, dun dun dun. I mean, it's just dun, the yeah. reality. As a guy who built a lot of large-scale data centers and stuff over the years, it's like these were all two common number conversations. Yeah. Right. That's where we started. Yeah. And now you're talking about, hey, you know what? I'll just throw it on my credit card. Let's run it for a month and see.
0: Yeah. So let's just wrap up with your prescription for today doing a secure transaction, you know, secure uh, communication over, you know, any of these devices. Is it that, like I said before, you take a crossover cable, you connect directly to it, you deploy your keys and your your codes and all of the things right on onto that thing and then put a lock box around it so nobody can plug a USB connector into it. And.
1: So the, uh, the answer, the answer there is that in your prototyping. So when you get your Raspberry Pi and, and those kind of devices uh, or, or your Arduinos or, you know, Galileos or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in the prototyping, you're going to have to assign keys in software and yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, when you go to production, you want to have it blown into the factory. Okay. You want to have it put embedded directly into the firmware so nobody can mess with it. So, I mean, how do you do it? I Last, thing I last time I checked you can't order a Raspberry Pi with a key blown into it can you nope and so you wouldn't be going to production with a device based on the Raspberry Pi okay? You use those, those kind of devices as maker boards and, you know, getting off the ground. And so you really do have case. to design your own thing and have it manufactured. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's where picking a board that has a chipset that you're interested in. Got it. Is why it is important. Yeah. So, um, you know, for example, the Arduino Yun, um, you know, the, the guys that make the Linux system on a chip, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually go order that chip. Effectively, that chip. Mm-hmm. It's the called the Chihuahua from Lenino. <laughs> hey. And the Chihuahua, fierce but mighty, The um, uh, you can buy that in bulk for $9 a piece. Yeah, okay. And so in that, you can just drop on a daughter board of any sort with your other sensors connected. Um, and you can order from them with the Software that you want already blown in, with the keys already blown in and hardened and ready to go. Yeah. Uh, do we have any resources for
0: manufacturers of those kinds of devices?
1: Uh, that let me put together a blog post yes. and I will link that on uh, JoshHolmes.com and I'll do that before the this, this show goes live. Great. All the way to the end. Thank Absolutely. you, Josh. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> Thank talk, you. Be
0: great talking to you and uh, hope to see you soon. And we'll see you next time on .NET rocks.